So glad you guys are here this morning. My name is Brian Legg. I'm one of the pastors here at TBA, or at least that's what it would say on my door if I had an office door. You would find the humor in that if you'd hang out in our office a little bit. We work in the modular up here, and we have these cubicles that we sit in, and so we take accountability to a new measure. If you're talking to your wife or yelling at your kids or whatever you're doing on the phone, all the other guys know as well. So we definitely have accountability. But, you know, we all have titles and we all have labels that are put on us, don't we? Sometimes the titles are official. Sometimes it's things like pastor or president of a company or manager or maybe you have a doctor in front of your name or some of those fancy letters that come after and it comes from your educational background and you get the title associated with that. Sometimes it's just other labels that are put on us. You know, it's someone who is wealthy or someone who is poor, someone who is a hard worker or lazy somebody who is the best athlete on the team, or maybe you got labeled as the MVP for the other team. You know, sometimes it's, it's someone who's arrogant or egotistical, or the other side of that is someone who is humble or meek. Sometimes it's a person of greatness or a humble servant. We have these labels and these titles and everything that kind of gets put with us, and the world puts all kinds of labels on people. The world puts labels all the time, sometimes official, sometimes not, good and bad, ugly, doesn't matter. There's labels that are put there. But do you know that God really only puts one label on us, that we are his children, his children whom he loves, that one simple label. And God wants what's best for us. He wants us to experience fullness of life just like we want for our kids. We want our kids to experience life, to have abundant life, to enjoy life to experience joy. We want the best for them. God wants the same for us. If you haven't met my family before, here's a picture from Mother's Day this past year of my family. This is my beautiful wife and three daughters, Alyssa, Avery, and Addison. Now, you've got to understand a little bit of our our history. When Sherry and I got married, I was convinced that we were going to have kids and they were all going to be boys. (laughs) You see how that worked out. When Alyssa was born, the entire time she was in the womb, I called her Bubba. We didn't find out if we were having a boy or a girl. I was just convinced we were having a boy, so she was Bubba all the way through. I would read stories to her in the womb. We would play music. We would do all this stuff, but I called her Bubba. Consequently, when she was born, they handed her to me in the delivery room, and she peed all down the front of me. I think it was her payback for me calling her Bubba the entire time she was in the womb. So Sherry gets pregnant a second time. We're going to have another, a son, of course. This time it's going to be a boy, right? I got blessed with twin girls, two girls at once. I told Sherry, I said, we are not trying again for another boy because I'm afraid God may show off at this point. We may get three or four at one time, not going there. Now, I'll say all that to say simply, it wasn't exactly my plan to have three girls. But God knew what was best. And I wouldn't trade my girls for anything, for any other boy in the world, You know, and I look back and I think about what was it that I wanted in a boy. I was looking for a boy who would go hunting with me and go fishing with me and do the outdoor stuff and the rough and tumble stuff. And God gave me girls who will do that with me sometimes. They also have their moments where it's drama and there's hormones raging and all those things. And I wonder, what would it be like to have boys in the house in these moments in comparison? But I still wouldn't trade my girls for any boy in the world. I love them. I want what's best for them, just like any parent does for their child. You know, my girls, they don't always listen to me. Have you ever had that experience as a parent? 
You know, you talk to your kids and they kind of do their own thing anyway. They don't pay any attention to what you have to say. But for some reason, and I've yet to explain this exactly, but Pastor Dave has this way of connecting with my girls that nobody else does, and they just listen to him. They listen to what he has to say. I mean, it's like Dave walks on clouds for them. I mean, he, he is the man, okay? And so we're having this conversation in the office one day, and we're talking about some struggles within our families. And I'm sharing with, with the other guys how my girls have been fighting back and forth nonstop, and it's this selfish kind of fighting of, that's mine, me first, I want to be first in line, get out of my room, don't touch my stuff. You know, all the same things we fight about as adults, except we're a little more covert about it, right? But my kids are going through this whole season, so I'm explaining to the guys, we're kind of trying to encourage each other. So Dave, a week or so later, pulls my girls off to the side, and he goes, look, we need to talk. You know, why are you guys acting so selfish? Why are you fighting back and forth over stuff? You know, don't you know that Jesus teaches that first is last? Don't you know the Bible talks about being a servant and thinking about others before you think about yourself? And he has this whole conversation with them. And so my girls come home talking about it, I go, yeah, that's going to last all of about 30 seconds. We'll see. The next day, there's this fight going on. The girls are back and forth upstairs again. Same old thing. And all of a sudden, I hear one of them yell, first is last. (laughs) Of course, they're yelling it at their sister, not listening to their own words and the things they're doing. But at least it got the point across. But they listened to some of those things. And while it didn't change the fighting and while it didn't change the same attitude, because we all have some of those selfish desires within us, it did help them to be aware And it helped them to think about what does it mean to serve? What does it mean to look outside of myself and look outside of my own desires for my life sometimes? And it helped to open their eyes to some of that. Well, that's a lot of what I want us to talk about today because as I think about that story, it occurs to me, how often do we stop to think about this idea of service, this idea of getting beyond our selfishness, of making others more important than us? First is last. That seems backwards from everything we learn, doesn't it? But I want us to talk about that some today. As Ruth was telling you a while ago, we're doing Christmas in July. It's kind of become an annual tradition here at TBA. And let me tell you a little bit about why we do Christmas in July. Christmas is one of those times where more people think about others than any other time of the year. You have more people who give to those in need. You have more people who serve in charitable organizations. You have more people who just stop to think outside of themselves and think about what it means to give and to serve at Christmas time than any other time of the year. And so for us, we look at our church family and go, well, we don't want to go from Christmas to Christmas missing all of that. That's the heart of what we're supposed to be about. So let's celebrate Christmas in the middle of summertime. Maybe it'll make it feel a little cooler, even though it's super hot outside in July. You know, maybe it'll kind of bring some of that atmosphere back around. But more than anything, maybe it'll help remind us of what Christmas brings so naturally in us. This idea of service, of looking outside ourselves and helping others. And so we got two main points of emphasis in Christmas in July. As Ruth was telling you, there's cards over here for the Highland City teachers and some of the teachers within our church family. It's an opportunity for us to provide some supplies for them that the school doesn't provide, things that they have to take care of on their own in order to teach and do a good job with our kids But bigger than that, what it does, it helps us to build relationship with those teachers. The school is one of the primary ways we're building relationship in the community of Highland City, and that is where we feel God has called us to serve. So it gives us opportunity to serve differently there. Over on this tree, we've talked about a food pantry before, but we're really launching brand new, a large food pantry. This is targeted specifically in the Highland City area, ways we can reach out there, but even greater South Lakeland, um, ways that we can serve our community, those in need who do not have enough food, There are things ranging everywhere from $5 to $40 in those cards, so you can pick up one of those and get some of those items to bring in for the food pantry. 
We've talked to you some about the dream of having a house in Highland City and having that hub of ministry where we do food pantry and clothing pantry and things like that out of it. This really is the beginning stages of that. Even though we don't have that house put in place yet and we don't have those things lined up, we want to get started with something. So this is an awesome opportunity that we're going to get to be involved in as we go through Christmas in July. But as we look at this idea of Christmas in July, I ask the question, why? Why do we do this? Why do we talk about serving? And why do we talk about looking outside ourselves so much? There's a story in the book of Matthew I want us to look at this morning. Matthew chapter 20. We're going to start at verse 20 and work through verse 28. If you have it on your smartphone or have your Bible with you, you want to follow along, or it'll be on the screen here. You can read along with me. Then the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus with her sons. And she knelt respectfully to ask a favor. What is your request, he asked. She replied, in your kingdom, please let my two sons sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right and the other on your left. But Jesus answered by saying to them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering that I'm about to drink? Oh, yes, they replied, we're able. Jesus told them, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup, but I have no right to say who will sit on my right or on my left. My father has prepared those places for the ones that he has chosen. When the ten other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. But Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers in this world lord it over the people, and officials flaunt their authority over those who are under them. But among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many." Jesus has been teaching about this actually for three chapters now, starting in Matthew 18 all the way through. All the parables that are told, the different stories that are shared, the illustrations that are there as he answers questions. He's talking about this heart thing of service. He's talking about the heart condition of putting others before yourselves, giving up on your own stuff so that you can serve one another. And what does it mean to be a servant? He compares it to the likeness of a child in several instances, coming with a sense of humility, thinking of others before you think of yourself. So he's teaching this idea, but yet his disciples, the 12 who are closest to him, still don't get it. And what happens? James and John, who happen to be Jesus' cousins, send their mom, Jesus' aunt, to ask, well, can we sit up front? Can we be the first at the table? Can we get the biggest steak at dinner? Can we be the first ones to come to the party? And I'm thinking, wow, you don't even come and ask yourself. You send your mama to do your dirty work to ask the question for you. You send mom to Jesus to say, can my two sons sit on either side of you and can they be the important ones? I mean, come on, Jesus, they're your cousins. They're family. You've got to take care of them, right? Can they sit in the place of importance? And I love how Jesus responds. But Jesus answered by saying to them, notice he's not speaking to his aunt. He's not going back to talk to Salome in this case. He's not talking to just her. He's going, okay, guys, I see what's going on. I see how this works. You're sending your mama to ask the question that you're wanting to ask, so you listen for a minute. You don't know what you're asking. You have no idea what you're getting yourself into, what you're wanting to be a part of. You don't get it. And as he responds to them and he talks about it, it's one of those moments where I look at it and I go, careful what you ask for. Because... When you look later in their lives, James and John, Jesus' cousins, who are asking to have these places of honor, who are asking to sit at his right and left hand, do you know what happens to them? James is the first disciple who's martyred. 
He's the first one to die for his faith. He dies at the hands of King Herod of Agrippa, who kills him by a sword. And John is exiled to the island of Patmos, where he writes most of the book of Revelation, but he spends a long time in his life suffering for his faith and losing his life for his faith. Jesus says, indeed, you're going to drink from this bitter cup, but I don't think you're getting what you're asking for. I don't think you understand what it is that you're really wanting. And then I love how it goes from here. The other disciples are indignant. I like that word, indignant. Basically what it's saying is the other disciples are mad because they didn't think about it first and they didn't come and ask Jesus if they could sit on the right and left hand. They hear the conversation going on and they're like, man, James and John got in before us. They asked the question first. Now they're going to get to right up front. What about me? And they get upset because they have the same selfish desires. They have the same thought process going on. And they become indignant. But Jesus flips the coin completely as he talks to them. He calls them together. You know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people and officials have flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. This is not what I'm calling you to. Yes, that's how the kings rule today. That's how all the officials do their business. They lord it over people. They are in charge. They are superior to everyone around them and everyone under them. But that's not what I'm calling you to. Among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. Think about that. Whoever wants to be a leader must be your servant. Must do things like wash your nasty feet when you walk on the dusty road. And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. He's saying to the disciples, you see greatness as power. You see greatness as authority. You see greatness as hitting this position where you have a title, where you have prestige, where you have honor, where people are giving you accolades and you command this respect because of the position you're in. But among you, it will be different. You need to look at life in a different way. See, Jesus is talking about heart condition here. It's not specific to position It is heart condition. You need to look at others as better than yourself. You need to look beyond your own selfish desires. Look beyond the things that drive you and put others first. This idea of serving others is a concept that's easy to understand but really hard to practice, isn't it? Easy to understand. Okay, I'm called to be a servant. I know what that means. I know I need to serve others. I know I need to make... Other people more important than me. I need to think of their needs before I think of my own. I get that. But living it out, that's tough. Because we like things to go our way. We like things to happen the way we want them to happen. We want to have the things that we want to have. Our pride kicks in. See, the world teaches us from birth that we have to work hard to achieve greatness. And that's what we're after. We're after greatness. We want to be amazing. We want to be great. And how does the world define that? Look at what Wikipedia says. Greatness is a state of superiority affecting a person, an object, or a place. A state of superiority, being better than. can also be referred to individuals who possess a natural ability to be better than all others. Greatness. Greatness. Superior, being better than. 
those around you. And that's what the world says to us all the time. You need to be great. You need to be better than everybody else around you. And it doesn't matter who you step on to get there. It doesn't matter how you go about it. You've got to be better. That's what greatness looks like, right? But what if our definition's wrong? What if we're working under the wrong definition? What if in trying to achieve greatness, we're missing the boat? You see, that's what Jesus is saying here. He's flipping the coin to the other side and going, you're missing the whole point. Greatness doesn't look like this. See, we're looking at it as happiness, trying to achieve happiness, trying to achieve the next thing that makes us feel good, that gives us that good emotion. Get the next thing that makes you feel good. Accomplish the next thing that makes you feel good. But happiness is just an emotion, and it's fleeting. What Jesus is saying is, I'm offering you joy. Joy is one of those internal conditions that is not affected by external circumstances. It doesn't matter what's going on around you. It doesn't matter what you have. It doesn't matter all the other things. Joy is something you carry with you. But yet we're constantly trying to achieve this happiness. The world says you need to be king of the mountain, basically. I mean, think about a lion pride. The king of the jungle, the king, the head lion, the dominant male in the pride. Think about his position. He's in charge of everything. He oversees all the other animals. He's in control. He's the man. And he's constantly being challenged. And he's constantly got other male lions coming and fighting and beating on him. And he's bruised and he's broken and he's bloody. And he's constantly having to defend his position and fight to stay in that position. And how often do we do the same thing in the world? We want to be that dominant lion. We want to be king of the hill. We want to be on top in charge of everything and have the title and have the accolades and have all the stuff that goes with it. And it's a constant battle to try to stay there. For what? It even happens in ministry. I don't know how many times I talk to people who are excited about what God's done in their life. They're excited about following Him and they want to go into ministry and they're determined that they're going to launch a ministry and they're going to change the world. And that's exciting and that's good and there's nothing wrong with that if God's calling you to that. But what if God's calling you just to minister to your family? What if God's calling you to be the best parent you can be or the best husband you can be or the best wife you can be? Or what if God's calling you just to spend time with your neighbor and to do life with them or to reach out to that coworker that nobody else talks to and to be a friend? What if God's calling you to something that's simple, that doesn't bring accolades, that doesn't bring recognition, that doesn't bring all the stuff. Are we okay with that? Are we okay with having a humble position like that to serve others even if nobody notices? See, America rails against this idea because we're a superior nation. Whether we say it out loud or not, we sure live like it. We look around and we go, well, we're better than everybody else. We've been taught this since birth, coming up through school. This is the nation. It's the place to be, and we're blessed. We really are. I mean, even people who live in poverty in the U.S. are still in the top 10% of the economic structure of the world. Think about that. It doesn't mean we care for our families any better in the U.S. 
But from an economic standpoint, those who are in poverty are in the top 10% of the world. If we're following Christ, think about the blessings that you have in that. God has promised you life, abundant life. You have the hope of eternity with God. Think of all the blessings that we have. But yet we struggle with this heart condition. We struggle with motivation of why we do the things we do. We struggle trying to gain recognition and accolades and be the best and be on top. We look in all the wrong places for validation and for significance. And we set the bar in our lives based on what the world tells us. We set the bar in our own lives based on what other people are saying, the lies that we hear, instead of setting it on God's truth. Too many times we're not okay with just being God's children and doing what he's called us to do. We're caught up in making a name for ourselves and developing that title or making sure that label is what we want it to be. Sometimes even when we serve, we get caught up in trying to be great at what we do. And hear my heart on this because there's nothing wrong with working hard. There's nothing wrong with doing your best. In fact, I think God asks us to do that. I think he expects us to work hard. I think he expects to give, us to give of our best. But what's our motivation behind it? Why do we do the things that we do? How do we go about it? Are we stepping on everybody along the way, climbing the corporate ladder, trying to get there? How do we go about the things we do in life? See, I think sometimes God is saying, in fact, I think all the time, God is saying that the way to greatness is a journey down, not up. It's not climbing the corporate ladder. It's not achieving success. It's not doing all these things so that you gain title or recognition. It's a journey down to serving, to putting others first. Greatness is a condition of character. It's a heart that is seeking God's heart doing the right things for the right reason, with the right motivation, with the right heart behind it. I heard a story one time about this, this little boy that he was walking down the beach with his family. And as they're walking down the beach, you know, there's seashells scattered along the sand. And so the little boy's scooping down and he's picking up seashells as they walk along the beach. Some of you have done the same thing. You know what this is like. And so they pick up the shells and, you know, some of the shells are beautiful, it's full shells, and they've got great markings on them, and, and some of them are just, they're amazing. He's going to take them home. He's so excited. Some of the shells he picks up aren't so nice, but, I mean, they're still pretty. There's pieces of shells or fragments, but they've still got cool little markings in them and things that are there, and he's excited about it. And so he's picking up these shells, and before long he's got both hands full of seashells, and he's walking down the beach with his family with these two hands full of shells, and, I mean, these are his shells. They're going home with him. He's excited about it. Nobody's taking his shells. And as they're walking along, his dad looks out in the water. And you know how you go to the beach and, and it's like there's a, a little area where there's water that you can kind of wade through and then there's a sandbar and then the rest of the ocean on out. He looks out onto the sandbar that's there and there's a starfish laying on the sandbar. And his dad goes, look, buddy, there's a starfish. You can go get the starfish. It's all yours. We won't mess with it. It's yours. Go get it. And so the little boy runs out into the water and he runs about halfway there and he stops and he kind of looks around and he gets this look of frustration on his face. 
And he turns and he runs back to his family and his dad's like, what's wrong? I mean, the starfish is right there. You can see it. Go get the starfish. It's all yours. And the little boy turns and he runs again and he runs out to the starfish and he gets right up to the starfish. And he stands there and again, it's like he's thinking. And he looks down and he looks back up and this look of frustration comes across his face and he comes back to his parents and his dad's like, what in the world's going on? The starfish is right there. You were beside it. You were standing there over top of it. Just pick it up. It's yours. And so the little boy turns and he runs back out to the starfish and he's standing there again in frustration and he turns to his dad and he goes, I can't pick it up. My hands are full. I can't pick up the starfish. And he's standing there with hands full of seashells. Some of them are nice and pretty. Some of them are broken. But he's comparing the shells in his hands to a starfish that's laying there. That's, it doesn't even compare in beauty. It's so much nicer than all the shells he has put together in his hands, but he won't put down the shells to pick up the starfish. And how many times are we like that? We're walking along and we're collecting all these things. We're collecting accolades and we're collecting recognition and we're collecting stuff that makes us feel good. And we're doing things, maybe for right or wrong reasons, and we pick up all of this stuff and we've got these hands full of shells. And God's looking at us going, but I've got a starfish for you here. And your shells don't even begin to compare to the starfish. Your shells don't hold a candle to the starfish. And it's right there. All you have to do is pick it up. And we stand there frustrated going, yeah, but my hands are full. I've got all these shells. What do I do? How many times do we do that? See, it doesn't matter so much what the shells are, what they represent in our lives, because they'll be different for all of us. It doesn't matter whether it's a state of mind, if it's pride or selfishness and that plays into you, if it's things that your motivations and why you're doing things, if it's stuff that you have, it doesn't matter what the shells are. If we're missing the starfish that God's given us, we're missing the point. We're just like the disciples in the story who are going, do I get to sit on the right or left side? Do I get the important stuff? And Jesus is going, have you been listening to anything I've said? Three chapters worth of stories and parables I've told you for you to understand the heart of being a servant, for you to understand how important it is to put others first, and you still don't get it. You're still worried about your shells instead of about picking up the starfish. See, to pick up the starfish, it means we have to surrender. We have to give up the shells. This past week, we celebrated 4th of July, and it's, it's this amazing patriotic celebration of, of our country and of freedom that has been won through battle. And 4th of July goes against what God's teaching in this moment because it's a totally different picture. While that's amazing and it's good for our country, and I have nothing, I'm not speaking against 4th of July, don't mishear me. It's a great thing, but for us following Christ... He's calling us to something different because he's saying for you to experience freedom and experience joy and experience contentment, fullness of life, you have to surrender. You have to give up 
your seashells. You have to give up the things that you think are that important in life so that you can understand my ways for your life. When I think about the idea of surrender, the picture that comes to me is that of a white flag. And think about it, in battle, not so much anymore because we're so far away shooting missiles back and forth, but in battle it used to be you'd be across the field and when you surrendered, you picked up the white flag and you waved the flag as a sign of surrender. Giving up, submitting. And I think God asks us to do similar things, to submit to Him. In fact, the word servant that we're talking about today, the word that we look at in this passage There are two Greek words that this word can translate from. One is douyuo, which is a submission of the will. Submission of the will, giving up, surrendering. Allowing God's plans to be more important than our own. And the second word is diakoneo, serving by giving personal help to another. It's more the practical, tangible piece of serving, of giving of ourselves so that we can help somebody else around us. And they're both important. And we see both of them translated throughout when we see that word servant. When you read through your Bible and you see the word servant or slave over and over and over and over, often it's coming from these two words, different meanings in different places depending on the context. But one picture of it is that submission of will and one picture is giving to others, serving them, putting them first. What does it mean to have a servant's heart? What does it mean first is last, or last is first. What does it mean to give up our titles and our labels and our rights and all the things that we've earned, our entitlement, so that we can serve others? As a church family, I want, us to, see it, want to see us put both of those things into practice. So I'm going to encourage you to do a couple things this morning. First, I'm going to encourage you as we close that I want you to come and take some time to think about what the shells are in your life. What are the things that you're holding in your hand that may be keeping you from what God is wanting you to experience from that abundant life, from the idea of serving, whether it's pride or ego, whether it's a sense of accomplishments in your life, whether it's labels that other people have put on you, whatever it may be. Take a moment to surrender those things to God by just taking one of these Sharpies and writing on this white flag as a sign of surrender. God, I'm giving this to you. See, too many times we think of something like this and we go, well, that's weak. That's me being weak. That's me not being strong enough to handle it, to take care of it, to to take care of myself. But see, there's that upside-down way of God again because he says we are strongest when we are weak because it is his strength that works through us in our weakest points. And so I want you to put into practice this dual yuo by coming and surrendering and writing that thing down on the flag and then take a moment and step away from the flag and just pray a simple prayer of surrender. God, I'm giving this to you because I want your best for me in my life. I want to experience that fullness of life that you talk about. I want the starfish, not just the broken seashells. And help me to surrender all these shells and all these things that I hold on to so tight so that I can experience life like you intended it. And then I would encourage you to go to one or both of these Christmas trees and pick up one of the cards. And there's instructions on it. It'll walk you through all the details of what you need to do. But over here is the, the angel tree for the teachers. And you can pick up one of those cards and, and, and bring some supplies for teachers. On this side is the food pantry. 
I mean, think about it. How cool it would be over the next two or three weeks as the floor fills up on both sides around the trees as we bring in teacher supplies and set those out to support our community and to be able to reach out to those teachers who are ministering to many of the students that we're trying to reach. And how cool it would be as you come in and you see Publix bags and Walmart bags and whatever, the groceries all over the stage for the food pantry to go to those who are hungry and in need. You know, there's nothing overly significant about Highland City except that God has called us there. It's our backyard, and that's where we feel that God is leading us to be involved in serving. But do you know, in fact, this was an email. I don't remember if it was this week or the last week Dave put it in an email, but do you know that Lakeland is the third hungriest place in the U.S.? We have more people going hungry in Lakeland than almost any other place in the U.S., Highland City especially. Do you have any idea how many students from Highland City Elementary are given those kid packs on the weekend to take food home because they don't have food at home? Here's a simple way that we can serve. Not because we're superior. Not because we're better than anybody else around us. But because we have been so blessed and God has called us to have that servant's heart. And out of that blessing, to allow that love to overflow to those around us. How are you serving? What's the condition of your heart? What's your motivation in doing the things you do? As the band sings, what is it that you need to come and surrender on this flag? And then how is God leading you to serve? These are simple, practical opportunities It requires little to nothing out of you, a little bit of money to purchase some supplies and bring in. This is an easy way to get your feet wet in serving. Stand and pray with me. God, we just thank you that you love us so much, that we are your children and you care about us. And you want what's best for us. And you want us to experience fullness of life. You want us to experience that abundant life that you talk about. And God, just like when I first got married, I kept thinking I was going to have boys and I just knew that that was my family dream and what was going to happen. Sometimes you have a different plan for our lives than what we think. But your plan is always better than our plan. And so help us to trust that. Help us to depend upon you and to be willing to lay down our seashells so that we can experience that starfish you offer us. Help us to get beyond needing the title or the recognition or the accolades or or all the stuff to make us feel happy. And help us to experience that true joy that you offer us. God, I pray that you would give us courage this morning. Help us to look deep within our heart and assess our own motivations and our own actions and the things that we do. And help us to have open hearts and open minds to what you may want to speak to us today. That we would be willing to submit, to surrender to you, to wave that white flag and to give those things to you and to trust you as you lead us into the next steps of our life. We commit this time to you. Speak boldly to our hearts, God. In your name we pray. Amen.